host today. No, I'm just kidding. It's Doug Potter filling in for KYT, who's not going to be here today. But don't worry, we still have a great crew going to come and talk some Magic the Gathering at you. We've got Rob and Vince. Rob and Vince, how are you doing today? Life's good. I'm pumped. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, we're going to jump right in to the hot topic of this week, and that's standard. This standard format seems like just a phenomenal uh, standard format that's always changing. It, it seems like it's coming full circle right now, where we started at the Pro Tour on Red, and Red is now at a place that it can be played again. I'm just going to toss up standard to you two. What, what do we think? Is it coming full circle? How are we enjoying standard right now, guys? Yeah, I mean... Uh, this is kind of what uh, we would have expected. Um, it's kind of what uh, Brian and myself have been preaching over the last few weeks. You have uh, Mono Red doing very well at the PT. Uh, definitely the dominant deck uh, in terms of performance at that event. Um, and then during the same weekend, you have the rise of Mono Black and Green Black playing a bunch of Lilianas uh, and Kalidas and a game plan. Uh, that can keep them on a red deck in check. And then you have the rise of some interesting control decks that were reasonable, uh, plus, uh, you know, zombies and, and green black still uh, remaining uh, key contenders. But like Mono Black Eldrazi came up, Blue White Approach, Blue Red Control got kind of good. And then, and then you see like Team or Energy come out and be like, okay, well, I'm a good mid range deck that can tussle with the aggro decks, the other mid range decks, and the combo decks. And that's just. Now the, the metagame is just, like, has gone from this <laughs> to this, and that's a perfect spot to, like, you know, bring your mono red deck and dust it off and, and be like, okay, you people don't have enough room in your sideboard to be playing four Magma Spray in your 75 anymore, uh, and you don't have room in your sideboard for Sun Scorch Champion or whatever that stupid three-mana card is that gains two life and then has buyback from the graveyard. So, like, uh, yeah, I mean, even the mono black decks were, like, started to cut cut back on their Kalidases uh, because it's just like not effective if you're not you know in, in a mid-range metagame Kalidus is not is not great right he's much better against the aggro decks so uh, so yeah we finally come full circle I, I think we're going to start seeing standard start to get into a steady state where people it's going to be a little bit like modern probably for the rest of the season where you will be able to win with any deck if you know your matchups more than your opponent uh, and, and are prepared for them um, so I think it's sweet. I think this is probably what people have finally wanted. <laughs> and I hope the numbers and tournament attendance reflect that going forward. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, when we were at uh, Grand Prix Toronto right before the Pro Tour, we were looking at the format and we were seeing White Blue Monument being a deck that we haven't seen for a while, which now just top eight of the GP. We knew about Zombies, of course, uh, and Red was starting to come into the fold and we'd heard about this refurbished God Pharaoh's gift deck, which now all the pros run a Jeskai version of it, much different, but it just feels like we're kind of back in time there, which is kind of cool. What do you think, Vince, uh, about this standard format and how it's iterating right now? I mean, I think I, I just want to compare it to the standard format of four months ago, because I think it's, you know, a lot of people are looking at the standard environment in context of the Pro Tour and with the Mono Red deck doing so well there, but I just want to say, like, how drastically different it is since just the the last banning that wizards has done like is literally the the a complete 180 on what that standard format was and i think that's really awesome because you know we're seeing a huge amount of like the uptick in the velocity of decks changing is like much much larger than it was when uh when those really powerful cards were still legal and standard 
and we're seeing that people can actually innovate in a lot of really interesting ways and kind of innovate not only for the standard environment itself, but also for the metagame and try to adapt faster than other other archetypes or other players. And and we saw, you know, with these recent GPs that if you are innovating the right way, you're going to do very, very well. So that, to me, is the sign of a very healthy standard format. And I like it. It's good stuff. Well, that's the interesting thing, right, is that there's so many decks, like Rob was just saying, that it's almost a na- an analogy to modern where there's just all these different decks. How do you attack a metagame? Like, that seems so hard, you know, for maybe the average listener, for someone like myself, honestly, who's not really been successful at metagaming. How do you go about doing that when there's so many decks and we don't have all of the data to know how to attack them? Like, wh- where would you even start, Vince, if you were uh, trying to think on how to attack this? Yeah, it's... it's- it, it's a unique challenge, right? It's a, it's a much bigger challenge, or I guess a different challenge than the, than the previous standard environments where it was just like figure out how to play the best deck and, and iterate over and over again until you can do that well. This is more about finding either A, a deck that suits your play style, which I'm not a huge proponent of. I don't think that players should get locked into that type of, of deck searching where they're like, this is the type of deck that I'm good at, therefore I want to keep playing that type of deck. I think you should be able to play every type of deck. Um, but... I, I would suggest that people try to find a deck that they feel like they have a consistent, more wide range of positive matchups, rather than a deck that's like got a bunch of 70-30 matchups and a bunch of 30-70 matchups in the format. Just a deck that has a bunch of 55-45s, or even like a few 60-40s and some 50-50s. Just because that's giving you a better opportunity to either outplay your opponents and get more percentage points that way, rather than just kind of coin-flipping matchups. And it kind of insulates you against predicting the metagame wrong in that if you are playing a deck that's good against generally everything, and even if you kind of tweak your sideboard a little bit to try to beat certain types of decks that you think might show up more, if you're wrong, you still have a deck that can perform. Whereas if you're playing one of these heavily skewed decks, you're just completely screwed if, if, you, if you guess the metagame wrong. Um, and then to just expand on that, once you have found a deck that you feel like you have a pretty broad um, chance to do well against different archetypes, then you want to think about the metagame. And then you want to think about, you know, what type of decks am I expecting to see next week or this major tournament that I'm going to? And how can I kind of make minor adjustments to this archetype such that I'm positioned more more effectively against whatever metagame I'm, I'm expecting? Yeah, is your approach similar, Rob? Or? Yeah, I, I mostly agree. Um, so, I mean, the first thing you want to do is see if there's something that's still undiscovered yet broken <laughs> if you find that then you're you're definitely gold right because you've you've locked into something where people have missed it i mean it's pretty rare this deep into a format and trust me i've definitely tried to find something that's like can, can deal with the wide swath of of decks you have right you have very aggressive aggro decks in mono red and like zombies can put together some some uh aggro starts too right you have a bunch of mid-range decks green black teamer even zombies can be mid-range Mardu. Um, and Mardu can also be a hacker, right? And then you have all these control decks, uh, like blue-red, uh, blue-white approach. Um, and then you have a bunch of combo decks, all these gifts deck and monument deck and ramp and a reanimator decks. Like, it's just uh, madness. So if you find something that's, like, a half turn faster than everything else at, at a combo deck level, or, like, a control deck that has you know, secretly the answers to everything and you guess correctly, then that, that's kind of where you want to be. But I think it's probably very difficult to find that in, in a format that's kind of as old as the one we're in, right? Um, and even though uh, I said that, I still tried 
to see if there's anything, <laughs> any rock left unturned. <laughs> um, to uh, to give to my friends that were going to the R- RPTQ last weekend uh, and the people in the nation. But uh, as it turns out, um, there you know the decks are just good, and I think knowing your matchups, I agree, is is good. Um, I kind of disagree with Vince on the playstyle point. Like I think you actually should find a deck that um, suits your playstyle correctly if you're short on time and preparation, right? Like if you're known as like the aggro player and you only have four days to test before the GP, then you shouldn't be like, you know, testing blue white approach (laughs) to see if it's, you know, 3% better against, you know, some matchups that you want to squeeze that you're just like not going to get the edge, you know, that that the deck can possibly give you um, from that angle. So I think I would just pick up the aggro decks and see which one fell best in my hands and then iterate on that. Right. Um, So that being said, we know that the metagame is going to be super wide open going into this GP, and I'm absolutely not surprised that Teamer Energy and uh, Mono Red, uh, you know, kind of walked away uh, the big winners. The Mono Red deck is a deck that, if the metagame is very wide, people can't, you know, dedicate as much slots to it because they need to try to battle against everything, and you're just going to be able to just run people over that are. It's like Affinity, right? Like. Affinity's good every few weeks or whatever, right? People are like, okay, I haven't seen Affinity around. I'm going to start shaving back these um, ancient grudges because, like, you know, this white-black Eldrazi taxes, hate bears deck or whatever has come out, and I need some other cards to battle that or else I'm just, like, dead in that matchup. And then, like, oh, lo and behold, Affinity won the tournament. <laughs> hey, what do you know? <laughs> People shave the stony solids from each of their sideboards, and the deck's, you know, the deck's busted again. I, I feel like Mono Red is kind of the, the same kind of deck uh, in standard, and then the Teamer Energy deck just like has a consistent game plan with good power in the early game, good power in the late game, and has the tools to fight against. It's probably one of the only decks in standard that has the tools to fight against every strategy uh, that currently exists in the meta game. And if you look at the lists from Brad and BBD and Corey, they're just like very stock, very clean lists. They're not doing anything fancy. They just want to play a good, clean game of magic that is just playing powerful card after powerful card, and their sideboard is also, like, very clean. It's like, okay, a little bit of card advantage creatures, some counter spells to deal with the, the combo and control decks, a couple planeswalkers to deal with, like, the mid-range decks, and that's, you know, that that's kind of it, right? Um, and then a couple cards for the mirror, like like Coup, for example. And, like, it, it works, right? If you just play tight magic and you play a deck that's like 50-50 against the field uh, and you don't get unlucky, you can definitely do well. And they definitely showed that that is the fact. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of staggering, honestly, if you look at it, that uh, especially Brad and uh, Corey, his brother, they top-aided the last standard GP just a couple weeks ago with Green Black Constrictor and then showed back up to the very next standard GP after a weekend of double modern, and uh, both top aided. Both actually, they took the top three slots basically of the tournament. Uh, BBD, Brad, and Corey, with a very different deck that plays very differently. And and I do think that you both are on to something. I've been uh, playing a little bit of Magic Online, and I played Teamer, and I was learning, so I didn't do particularly hot when I was playing it. But I definitely never felt like. I was outless. I always felt like there was things I could draw. There's things I could do to find situations. So there's a lot of outs with Teamer uh, to be able to to handle almost everything in the format. And that's really cool. Whereas definitely other decks, let's say you don't have blue cards, might be a little tougher to snag that uh, approach 
that your opponent's just going to cast and and uh, take on you. So, um, just on the topic of Corey and Brad's, you know, I, I just want to ask your two opinion. Are these like the two best standard players in the world, or have they figured out a way of testing and preparing, having that you know companionship that I've seen with like Dean and Sean McLaren, where the brothers can just talk and fuse? Like, what what are your what's your hot take on uh, on this duo, and will their dominance continue? I don't. I don't want to be the guy who like rains on someone's parade because they're doing so well right now. And I think that's awesome. And I think it's a great narrative too, for like just pushing the whole magic brand, having like a story like that, that people can latch onto, but no, they're not the best standard players in the world. There's no way. Like I'm just not, I'm not buying that from, from, you know, a few tournament results. I mean, in fairness to Brad, like Brad is one player of the year and he's on quite the tear. So he's doing very well, but I mean, I would absolutely put him in the in maybe the top fifty, top twenty five, but I'm not going to say he's the number one player in the world. And I think it would be foolish to try to suggest that. So, no, I don't think him. I mean, and if you're going to make the argument for one of those, I mean, I guess BBD is pretty good too. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're the best players in the world. I really don't. And I think it's it's weird to even like try to quantify that based on a few tournament results. Yeah, I wouldn't say that they're the best. They're definitely performing the best currently. Um, and Brad is known to be very, very good at picking the right deck for the tournament. Um, in standard, anyways. <laughs> He's like very, very good at coming to the right conclusion uh, for, for standard deck selection. So if you, if you have someone like that that can find the 50-50 deck um, and then you have a bunch of tight players because like Corey and BBD are also like very good at magic. I, I played Corey in uh, the top eight of GP New Jersey and he was on four colors Sahili and I was on Mardu and we had a very, very close uh, game three where um, if he would have made even one misstep, I would have uh, been able to, to eke out a win there. And he played, very, very tight <laughs> to get that win. <laughs> so I, I definitely know for sure that he is uh, he is uh, an accomplished magician. Um, so I'm not surprised. But, I mean, I, I just don't think you can say that they're on the level of PV or whatever, <laughs> even though uh, right now results would, would, uh, would contradict that. I think they still have a long way to go. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's interesting because <laughs> uh, I, I specifically was asking about standard, mostly just because I do think that they're – are different types of players personally there are people that who excel at limited people who excel at standard and people like pv um or owen who prove time and time again they excel all around and and that's why they're some of the most revered pro tour players but um you know in the chat misplaced ginger shout out to <laughs> derek is mentioning that you know huey just went back to back grand prix wins well those are both limited and i'm not saying that he's a slouch in standard that's not at all what i'm trying to say i'm just trying to say that you know maybe there is something to be said for becoming a standard specialist and Brad has been known for a long time uh, as being a standard specialist. And the fact that I feel like this is almost a, a recurring theme that he's crushing standard, you know, it, it, it gets me wondering uh, how good is he really at standard specifically? And those who are testing with him can benefit from that. Yeah. It, it's it's going to be very interesting to watch, to see how the saga unfolds. Like, was it just that they were well-prepared and the variants kind of worked out for them? Uh, a few tournaments in a row and it seems like damn these guys are insane uh or like is their reign going to continue right <laughs> they're just going to crush gp after gp uh all the way into the pt so yeah i'm i'm pretty excited to see um if if there's something 
to what they have, right? Like if they again select the next like the deck for the next tournament or whatever. I will note that um in in the Patreon group in the nation, we had like a lot of people asking like what should I play GB Denver? What should I play in my RPTQ because both tournaments were going on last week and uh like uh, the consensus that uh you know, we came to and advised people kind of like leading up to the weekend was mono red and teamer like for the reasons that we've we listed already right that teamer has the stuff to battle against the rest of it and mono red doesn't have like people don't have the sideboard slots to get dedicate to it so i think it's time for those decks to do well and it took me a long time to convince people away from mardu because because brad nelson wrote an article saying hey you should be playing mardu it's time for this deck to like come back into the limelight and crush people and i was just like no this can't be this there's just no way. The deck is just not good enough. It doesn't have the tools. Uh, there's a braids everywhere. Like, if you think Mono Red and Teamer are going to be the two big decks at the event, there's no way you should be playing Mardu at that GP, right? Like, just there's like four braids through people 75 plus whatever else they, they want. Like, Hazard's difficult for that deck to deal with, too. So, uh, and, and so is, um, like, Glorybringer's not a threat you want to see when you're playing Mardu. And uh, that stupid Hydra. Bristling Hydra is like not a threat you want to see when you're playing Mardu. Like all those cards are very annoying, right? So is Chandra. And uh, yeah, like I had so many discussions with people that are like, but Brad Nelson, you know, he's known for being great at standard. He said play Mardu. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. And local Toronto scrub Rob Lombard is telling you that he's lying to you. <laughs> So I'm glad Brad showed up with Teamer, which is kind of like what we were pitching people to to play if they had the time to get really good at the deck because it is a very difficult deck to play optimally. Um, shows that at least we're not like, you know, way, way off the mark. <laughs> so I, I do wonder if Brad meant what he said when he wrote that, that Mardu article or if he was just like writing it as, you know, part of his SCG piece. Or maybe at that point he like literally had no idea and was just like, ah, this deck feels good good against green black and zombies which i think are the best decks so that's why i'm kind of considering it so i don't know you always wonder when a deck when a pro is like you should play this deck and they show up with a different deck that that weekend and just <laughs> crush the gp right but anyways <laughs> i feel like the most important negative information i just got and hopefully everyone else did from that monologue was did you say that you were a Toronto local, Robert Lombardi. Did I hear Toronto being described, or was it? Was yeah, it like Hamilton? no one in the world knows where Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you too on your first point about um, the whole standard specialist thing. I think I need to see more results. The sample size is too small right now for me to be like unequivocally English um, that they're the best players. Like it's just not you can't win two tournaments or spike two tournaments and be like, yeah, I did it. I'm the best. Yeah, well, I mean. Karel uh, in the chat. I mean, just to kind of put some numbers out there. So the last four USA standard tournaments were GP New Jersey, which Corey Bowmeister won, GP Omaha, which Brad won, GP Minneapolis, which both top aided, and then GP Denver, which both top aided and Brad won. So that's four in a row. It's not just two, supposedly. That's pretty good. I honestly didn't know that. <laughs> I honestly didn't good. know that too. So if that's true, that the last four US standard tournaments were. Corey wins, Brad wins, both top eight, both top eight, Brad wins. I mean, you know, this is, it's a good storyline for sure. And uh, I, I definitely do like the plug there that uh, Rob had for the nation because this, this honestly isn't us just like shamelessly plugging this 
venture that we're going into. Like you can go even if you join now and look back and Rob on August 16th said he's been brewing and doing things and he'd been posting a lot of lists, but our PTQ this weekend, he would only recommend one of two decks, Team Energy or Blue Black Zombies. And I've been taking Blue Black Zombies for a spin online and it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's hard and it might be a bit unfocused. We had that discussion on the nation as well about zombies and even just that discussion with uh, Brian that I was uh, kind of advocating for zombies led to potentially some things that he hadn't have thought about. Um, so there's a lot of value in that nation. And, uh, you know, we might not have the, the Brad and uh, Corey results right now, but at least we were recommending the deck that they, that they took it down with. So shout out to that. Now, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of a sidestep on standard. I still want to talk about it, but an interesting question that came up uh, when we were preparing for the show was, what would happen with this standard if we imagine that Watsi just hadn't banned anything. So every card that's currently banned in standard right now is just all out to play. Do you think that we'd be in the same exciting, you know, standard that's constantly changing with all these decks or would it be different? I'm going to let you start this one, Vince, and uh, let us know what you think. So Rob said this initially. I'm like, wow, you're, you're such an idiot. Like, that's such a stupid comment to make. Yeah, he just lambasted me for yeah, like five for like minutes. I couldn't even minutes. get my, my justification <laughs> defense out. Anyways, go ahead. And then while I was criticizing Rob, in my head, I'm like, wait a minute. This sounds awesome. And I started thinking about, like, the types of decks that would exist if you just unbanned actual everything. And then Rob started going into more depth on some other archetypes that I didn't think about. This, that format sounds sweet. Like, there's actually a reasonable amount of deck... I don't know how powerful all the archetypes are when you stack them up against each other, because we actually never got to see that in Standard, because of the way that cards were released and the way that bans happened, but... Man, can you imagine a format where you have Marvel decks, Emrakul decks, Smuggler's Copters decks, you still have Reflector Mage? Like, that format sounds fun. And I feel like... We kind of got robbed of the experience because they had to ban everything in a weird order, but... You also have Sahili cool. decks, right? Sorry, yeah, I also forgot about Velodar Guardian. You have that so, too, so... I mean, uh, yeah, I think that um, where they went wrong was they banned Emrakul, right? And we kind of, we've gone over that before. And because you banned Emrakul, it's like, okay, well, now all the aggro decks are going to look homogenous. We need to do something so that everyone's not just playing Blue-White Flash, so they just ban Copter and Reflector Mage. And it's like, okay, everything's like the same now, right? The same power level, and it's like, no, you still have Marvel, and then you also printed Felidar Guardian, you psychopaths. <laughs> and it took, like, a whole other iteration before they finally came around to banning those two cards, because without the other cards, like, nothing's kept in check, right? You just, like, if you're only banning half of the powerful stuff, you're, like, pushing the format to only have one or two insane decks, and, like, that's a format people don't like, right? I think people are okay with a powerful format if there's a lot of different decks because like people play modern people play legacy, right? Those are, those formats are actually very popular. Um, and people enjoy that kind of magic. Uh, but there's also like a lot of different decks you can play, even though they are, uh, very strong. So I, I think you get like all these sweet Emrakul decks, you get like green, black delirium as an Emrakul deck. You get, uh, like teamer or Grixis or, uh, Sultai emerge, uh, as an Emrakul deck. Um, you get, whatever Marvel, Red Green Marvel, Teamer Marvel as a as a as an Emrakul deck. And then you get like a bunch of Marvel Ulamog decks that are close to like the current um energy builds, right? And then you have four colors to Healy. Four colors to Healy with Marvel going into Ulamog as it kind of was like right near the end before they said they didn't ban it and then banned it. 
And then also, like, your aggro decks can still compete because they still have Smuggler, Scopter, and uh, Reflector Mage, right? So you probably have, like, Blue-White Flash, and you have a better Mardu decks that, that can actually compete, or maybe you have, like, some more interesting four-color decks that are, you know, get to play Spellqueller and and stuff. Like, people were trying to do that with Mardu, and the mana base just didn't work out. But Smuggler's Copter kind of, like, solves all those problems, right? Because you just need to hit a Copter and literally any other card that you can cast, and then, you know, you can pitch whatever you you can't cast, and then, uh, you know, find your mana sources or, or cards that you can play. So, um, and then there's probably a bunch of decks that are also more interesting, right? Like some reanimator decks, because like the emerge decks were playing like vessel and and grapple and stuff like that before, and like with li- like five mana lil and cards like this. Like I don't know. They also printed a bunch of answers, so like things you know are better. Like a braid and, and fatal bush exist, so like copper's not running away with the format. So yeah, I think it would be sweet, and I wish that we could explore it to find out. Um, I guess our solace is that this format doesn't suck. <laughs> Even though, like, it's definitely kind of a powered-down magic. Like, a lot of games go to, like, turn 10, turn 11, or, or, or later. And I feel like if the, in the no-ban standard, you probably have a lot of games ending on turn 5, turn 6 um, at the latest. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it would be sweet. It's it's weird that we're having this conversation about no-ban standard that literally changes the entire face of the format. It's like... Uh, that's obviously not a good sign for what standard was previously. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. And then even like as you guys were talking, I was just even thinking in my head, what would happen if they just unbanned Smuggler's Copter? Nothing else. Or what if they just unbanned just Reflector Mage? Would that skew everything so wildly with where it's at right now that you know people are playing World of Virtuoso and Glorybringer and uh, and all these things that if they bounce, it's like, okay, I'm going to get a bit more value from. Like, would that I would really love change? to reflect your major long tusk cub. I feel like <laughs> a long tusk cub definitely that should be legal. Things in that deck, like, <laughs> it's not going to cripple them. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting where you've gotten to with bands and how certain things definitely feel to me like they jump the shark, and other things feel like it makes sense. But yeah, a, a world with no bannings that would be, you know, have you ever played no ban modern? It's just wild. It's just so different than modern. It's not the same format. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. I have a really good analogy for this. I think I do anyway. You guys can be the judge of it. Enlighten us, Vince. Imagine (laughs) you're going to get a haircut, okay? And the the guy's cutting your hair or the lady's cutting your hair and just completely biffs, like, a huge amount of your hair and cuts it out. Now you have to cut everything else around it so that you have, like, an even level of hair. But if you just left that piece and kind of grew everything out, you just have a nice haircut, and instead we have, you know, the, I, I'm joined by two bald people. This is the point I'm trying to make. When you cut bald out, and balding, okay, <laughs> my point is when you, you know what I mean. Cutting out that one chunk of hair is is the emrakul, and once you've done that, you got to get rid of everything else, or else it looks ridiculous. That was the most insane hair. MTG comparison to real life I've ever heard in my life. But I'm glad that it's now immortalized on the internet. And if anyone <laughs> was just I'm listening. Sad. On the podcast, I would suggest maybe going to this part of the video and watching myself stroke my newly bald head <laughs> Please do. while he was describing that, because I can't imagine a more fitting time to mention that I'm now bald than that haircut analogy. Um, yeah, no, it is true, though. Uh, if they hadn't cut the Emrakul, what would have happened? It's, 
it's really interesting, but you know, you did describe something, Rob, that I think we can kind of sum up this uh, section on standard with games are going a long time right now. You said they'll go push 10 plus turns. And I've found that when I was playing blue black zombie reanimator, moto was sometimes hitting that like turn 20 mark for me. And I was like, Oh, what is happening? But it's because my scarab gods are getting cast out it and it's approached. So it's not like a fast matchup, but we're just going really deep in these games. Uh, and it's kind of cool how, how this format has so much play. And I think that could be part of why Brad and Corey, people you mentioned are excellent technical players. Over time, their opponents are just making a mistake here, a mistake there. We're in a four-turn game. You have less opportunities to make mistakes, perhaps. Um, I definitely felt that way at Pro Tour Kaladesh when opponents were just turn four Marvel in me, and it's one of those hands that you know, okay, well, turn four Marvel into Ulamog or Amrakul, there's nothing I can do about it, really, right? So... That's yeah, really interesting. Any last thoughts on standard before we move on? I think we've uh, covered most of it. No, I, I think that Watsi should really take a look at this standard and how it exists right now, this snapshot we have right today, and hopefully look to be replicating it and why it's successful going forward so that we don't have the disaster of early 2017 <laughs> that we had. Because this is a, a very good example of where a format should be um, kind of going forward and where the power level of cards uh, should be. So I don't know. I know for limited, they have kind of rules on how many like A, B, C type grade cards they put into sets. And they have like, you know, a C is something that is worse than a three mana two, three or whatever. And then a B is kind of like better than that. And they have different, different kind of like metrics for how they, they measure things so that things don't get too out of control or that they try to anyways. So I feel like, uh, they should take some notes on where the power level of very powerful cards are right now um, to make sure that they don't, you know, kind of blow things up in the future. Like, look at a card like Planar Cleansing Plus Plus. It's, like, not even played. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of wraths, I guess, so I can't hate too much. We'll see. That, that'll likely change after Stasis Snare rotates, I would guess. It is an interesting dilemma because the cards that sell booster packs are the things like the Amrakuls. They're not the glory bringers. Uh, the cards that seem mediocre first, but turn out they're actually quite good. Or Approach oh, Second Sun. May, maybe Approach Second Sun is a good card to mention. It doesn't look like on surface. You know, that's the type of card that makes good standard, not necessarily these big flashy cards like Smuggler's Copter. When you first read it, you're like, wait, this card does what? That's just amazing, right? Just stupid power. Where when Heart of Kieran came out, we talked about it, and once again, unsure if it was good or not, right? So you got to kind of pick where those power levels are and go with it. All right, let's let's uh, let's change subjects. There's an interesting question that Sebastien Lachance in the Nation asked, and he, he basically was describing non-MTG game experience within a PPTQ. So talking about play experience, things um, maybe from anything from pairings, to uh, like the the seating structure, to maybe even the app that we don't have in Magic that can really easily give us all the Planeswalker point information and our stats. Like there's these sites out there now that you can look up your play stats against other people. Magic doesn't have a lot of good tools uh, to to provide those outside of game experiences for the players. What do you two think about uh, this? Is this something we should have? Is this something that Watsi shouldn't be wasting their time or money on? Is it just kind of superfluous? What, what do you think, Rob? So, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this on uh, probably one of our very early podcasts when we were just like ranting at Watsi for certain things. But I think it's just 
way too long that they don't have an Android and iOS app that is for Magic, like Magic Tournament Play, the app, or whatever it is, right? And it's like, it can know what tournament you're currently registered in because, like, we're obviously knows you're registered in an event. So as long as you can like sign in with your account info, planeswalkerpoints.com knows you're in it, like knows you played an event, right? So all that stuff is linked. You can log into it securely. Why can't I just download an app that knows I'm in an event that can give me my pairings, right? Like it's just, it's so much simpler. And then you get like, you get so much more relevant statistics of yourself there as well, right? And I, I honestly feel like this is the first step. And they need to make this. There's a lot of other things we can talk about, like consistency in the LGS and and all this kind of stuff. But I don't want to see any of that stuff change until we have an app. And I want to see planeswalkerpoints.com go away. I don't want to see Whir just go away. (laughs) And you just have it. You know, you have your details on an app. Like everyone has a smartphone (laughs) that plays Magic. If you have a hobby as expensive as Magic, you have a smartphone for sure. Um, And like you know, they can still post pairings for, for the people that, you know, are out of country or whatever and don't have roaming. But, like, I don't know, this just seems like a necessity given today's technology and where we are in the world. And I I want the app. I want the app first. This is the most important thing that, that they should be focusing on in terms of, like, non-play experience and non, you know, fixing moto. <laughs> yeah, that was the big if, though, right? Like... <laughs> Like, as much as it would be great for them to release this app, I'm all about prioritization and efficiency. And please devote literally all of your resources to making Moto a better product. Like, actual everything. I don't care. I don't care if you're someone who has a degree in philosophy and, like, has no concept of how a computer works. Get get them on coding. Just make it better. But I think that, that's the problem that they have now, Vince. But anyways, go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, but um, no, I'm I'm with you. I mean, obviously, it would be great if there was a centralized sort of experience that everyone could have, where it was all in one place. You didn't have to go to 15 websites and like hack a website with JavaScript to figure out your history against certain opponents or that kind of stuff. Like, obviously, this should be something that's integrated into one product owned by Watsi. Hopefully, that's something that's um, Magic Digital Next. Like, that might be part of that whole portfolio, right? Um, fingers crossed for that. If only we knew what that announcement was going to be right. about in September. Anyways, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that obviously it would be better to have it than to not have it. And for those of you who didn't know what were was, Wizards Event Reporter, which is the, the software that all TOs use to run tournaments and, and log data and log results and ship it back to, to Watsi, is like a complete disaster of a program. and is almost is probably as egregiously bad as Moto in terms of how dysfunctional it is, how many bugs it has, how old it is, and also needs to be updated. So I'm I'm with you there. I just think that given the efficiency at which Watsi releases updates to things and given the efficiency that they make changes, I am not optimistic about it happening soon. And I hope that they're focusing on play experience within the game first. Because as much as it would be great to have an app where everything's sorted out, I'd much rather have the game be better. I mean, so so I do product management as a career, and I could literally write the requirements for a Magic Tournament mobile app in a day. (laughs) I can contract it out to almost any, uh, you know. I specifically said 
company I get specifically done? said given Watsi's history of efficiency. I didn't say given the normal <laughs> world. I said Watsi's product release team or whatever you want to call it. It's it's uh it's glacial. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my eyes posted to the job site to see if that one that job opens up. Software yeah. product manager, mo- mobile applications. <laughs> That yeah, would be a good sign that it's happening if we see that job posted. I will say I, I do want to just clarify that I don't think in any way are we coming on here just to bash what Wizards, uh, you know, is doing and all of that. We're, we're actually trying to grow and trying to get better. And we think there's some very easy steps that can get taken to make this significantly better. I agree with Rob. When I'm at GPs with pairings uh, on an app, it's so much better because it even just... Okay, to put this into perspective for me, I, I went to GP Toronto and I was doing a lot of recording on Snapchat for my friends who'd never been to a Magic tournament. And one of the like Snapchats I did, I walked through that like cluster of people trying to get to the pairings board and get to their round and all trying to maneuver that we've all experienced. That's just a disaster. And I walked through holding my phone to show people like, this is what it's like. And I was getting snaps back from people like, why are there so many people just clustered? Like, what is happening? There's no room to move. Like, it's people that are from out of magic don't really understand that. But you feel like you're in this rush. You have to go to this pairings board to get your pairings and to get your seat in time. And it's just chaos. And having an app that showed your pairings would definitely, definitely help that. Also, at the local game store level, if it had, let's say, notifications, you could be outside. There's guys outside smoking, let's say. Oh, boom, they just got a notification. Rounds up. Like, there's so many practical applications that would just be built into this. Oh, yes, push notifications. Yes, please. Very, very <laughs> easy. And would really help people's experience, which would then help um, their play experience. So now I, we're segueing this because when we got talking pre-show about this uh, topic, we kind of were also were wondering, there's a lot of differences with LGSs consistency of running events. So let's say you go to a PPTQ at five different stores. You're most likely going to have five very, very different experiences from how much you pay to get into the tournament. What are the prizes? How much seating capacity is there? What are the um, exceptions for going over these seating limits? Can they cram more people in or will they not? Do they allow pre-registration? How do they do that? There's so many differences in LGSs. And recently, Grand Prix have just taken this step to kind of unify um, the process under Channel Fireball. At least that's what we're expecting is going to happen, that everything's just going to kind of be one consistent Grand Prix experience no matter where you go. So here's the question that I'm posing to you two. Should the play experience be expected to be the same worldwide, store to store? You're going to get the same experience when you walk in for how much you pay for PPTQ prizes, et cetera. Is that something Watsi should manage, or are we happy with how it's going? Vince, what do you think? Um, so I'll talk idealistically first. I mean, from an ideological perspective, yeah, obviously it'd be great if I could know wherever I'm going, just like, you know, it's with a franchise operation like Starbucks or McDonald's or whatever, I can walk into a store anywhere and know what's going to be happening and know what I have to pay to get whatever I want, whether it be tournament fees for standard, limited, constructed, whatever it is the type of event, REL, how it's managed, all that kind of stuff. The reality is that's just not possible, and it's not practical in any sense. So um, you have to make concessions to the fact that stores are going to be run differently. They have to be run differently. 
price payouts are going to be different. Costs are going to be different. And that's not this. And it's not all. It sometimes is the store owners trying to gouge you to make a higher return. But sometimes that's the reality of the situation for the store, given, you know, a bunch of other factors that are, are being pushed on that store. Like imagine if you're a store where your rent costs are double because of your location compared to someone, a store in a different part of the city, you now have a different level of overhead and you might have to charge more for your tournaments just to keep yourself floating. And that's not the store trying to gouge you. It's the store trying to give you a play experience in a place where otherwise you wouldn't have it. So it's not always about, you know, prices are different because stores are, everyone, every store is making the same amount of money and they just want to charge you more to make more and less money. There's a lot of underlying circumstances that influence why stores are charging what they charge, how many people they try to fit into their store, how many judges they have, what type of product they have, how much room they have for their product. All of this is influenced on more than just either owner greed or overarching WOTC policy. So. All I'm trying to say is sometimes we get a little bit caught up in the perspective of a consumer and it's not always the case that the store owner is the enemy and sometimes different prices are normal and that's totally okay. Yeah. Before Rob jumps in though, I, I do just want to say that um, I think part of posing this question is I definitely agree with you. That's how it's run. But if it was run more like a franchise, like McDonald's, let's say you actually now have constraints you must uphold to. And so the question I guess is, this tournament level, maybe RP to Q or higher, should those, sorry, not RP to Q, I apologize. I mean, PP to Q or higher, should maybe they franchise it out and maybe some of these stores stop hosting them if they can't meet those standards, right? That's kind of maybe the question. And they've always said tournaments are not the best place to generate revenue. You're going to generate revenue off other things anyways. So theoretically, this might not hurt these stores, even with everything you described. Um, that's kind Probably, of my perspective. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of what I'm coming at. I think there should be, I mean, if it's, I like the idea of PPTQs having some level of consistency. The problem still comes back to geographically, like your prices are going to change. Like does Watsi now have to keep track of the Canadian dollar relative to the American dollar to be like, oh, I see your, your dollar is worse now. So PPTQs are going to be more expensive. Like that's just a level of control that Watsi is not going to be willing to put forward and is just impractical, right? The, the the opportunity that franchises have is the the store has an incredibly strict level of of what can be sold and, and at what price that's that's like completely managed from the the owner of the whatever the company is whether it's like you know Tim Hortons Starbucks McDonald's that their whole business model is franchises Watsy's not like that and they they have no capability of going to that business model whatsoever I can understand them trying to put in some more strict standards for. Uh, how to run PPTQs, because I, I think that's really the only tournament you can go after. You can't really ask people to run FNMs a specific way. They're just too casual. Um, but yeah, I just think there's so many factors at play that it, it's too difficult for them to to try to stress stores more than they already are. No, I respect that perspective totally. What do you think, Rob? Where do you uh, fall on this? I'm kind of torn <laughs> on this argument uh, in a way. Like, Wati's been spending a lot of energy um, trying to make sure that uh, LGS play spaces are inclusive and that the behavior that you'll witness at an LGS is like at a certain threshold of like people not being ridiculously douchey, just like, you know, common human decency stuff. Right. And when the the environment doesn't show that they, you see them kind of like step in and, and do something that's like, you know, you guys can't 
<laughs> this isn't the 1980s or the 1930s or whatever. It's like this kind of stuff is just like not appropriate to be treating people that way anymore, right? And they'll, you know, they'll do something. They'll they'll revoke their uh, WPN status or you know ban them from uh, having access to product or, or or what have you. So saying that they shouldn't um, have the ability to more standardize, like even FNM or any tournament, including PPTQs or RPTQs, is kind of weird, given that they're like spending a lot of time trying to normalize like a bunch of other uh, environmental uh, experiences you have at your LGS, right? Um, now, that being said, like I kind of agree with Vince that it's difficult and doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of spots. So maybe like the puck does just stop right there and be like, okay, like, no, we just need to make sure that you're not a store filled with, with douches. And then that's where, you know, that we're going to stop our policing. You guys can like conduct your business of our product, kind of like however you want, assuming that you're providing a safe and, um, you know, accommodating play space to the players. Right. And I think that's fine. And as players, like when you go to a place where you're not happy with how, the prizing or the costing or the the experience of the tournament itself went, I think you just kind of like need to speak with your wallet. Right. And that's, that's the best way to kind of affect change as a consumer is just like, okay, look store ABC, like they charge us $60 to enter this sealed, um, you know, PPTQ and they put $15 per player into the prize pool and they paid out to top four and they, it still feels like they skimmed or something. And it was just like, this is just like not the kind of event I want to play in. It's like, okay, next time they run a PPTQ, you just don't go, right? And then other people, you know, the next time they do it, there'll be other people that went that didn't go before that have that experience. And eventually their like tournaments will get small enough that they'll either change or they'll stop running PPTQs and then someone else will, you know, step into that slot, right? And for those of you that are in communities where like you have like one LGS that you can attend, yeah, that kind of sucks. And, you know, in Hamilton, we're kind of lucky that we have, I don't know, like five stores that are legitimate contenders for being good places to play magic. And when any of them do something that's like not, you know, someone doesn't like like on our, on our group chat and Facebook, like people will just say like openly, like I didn't like the way that store X ran their event. And a lot of the owners in our city are like completely open to that kind of criticism. Like, you know, what didn't you like about it? Oh, we didn't like this, this, and this. Like we've had like prices of F and M change up, down, up, down. The price payouts change, PPTQs change, what events are run on what days, you know, be different or what time tournaments start. And like all that stuff has been discussed openly. And it seems like at the beginning, it felt like a lot of people were being contentious, but uh, the problem kind of sorted itself out by just having this open dialogue with the owner of the store, right? Like they definitely want your business and they should be open to your feedback. And for the owners that don't want your business and are not open to your feedback, well, they're not going to be business very long anyway. So I wouldn't, you know, worry too much about it if they just like kind of ignore, uh, ignore that feedback. But uh, I don't know that I, I guess I, I agree with Vince in that it probably needs to reside in the discussion with the players and their LGS. Cause it's just a very, it's a very difficult problem to police. And I don't think that they can bring any good by having them police it very closely to make a very consistent prizing 
experience. Although updates to the way that tournaments are run, maybe that's a spot for improvement. But yeah, that I mean, starts that with you. Like, <laughs> that can just be objectively improved. Like that's not something that's subjective, right? I think you made a really good point though when you were talking about how different communities are going to want a different experience. And if Wizards tries to universalize that experience, especially from a tournament prize perspective or from a fee, a fee perspective, that might not sit well with people, even if it's accepted like universally, right? Like all PPPs should be $30 that are constructed or something. Maybe certain communities like the idea of a higher price PCQ with a different price payout. And you've now just removed that possibility for pretty much an arbitrary reason. So right, yeah. Not There's a lot of stores that run like free standard FNM and they only give out the FNM promos as yeah. the prize, right? And like, that's fine. If people are attending, that... Exactly, that's the thing. Just let the store figure out its own way of, of creating its own revenue. And if players are going to the store, you don't get to fault the store because it's clearly working. Like, I didn't think I was going to end up here on this argument. <laughs> we started discussing <laughs> Free market. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an interesting subject, and I'm I'm glad we're talking about it because I mean I, I agree to a point, but at the same time I do think that certain regulations could get stores a bit more on track. And um, I I know that uh, some of these stores may may be succeeding, but I know stores have in the past done things to hit certain marks to get their status to maybe have that you know you need a certain status before you can host a PP to Q. I've heard of some things stores will do to just kind of generate numbers for a short term to hit status and then go back to another way. I just feel like um, there's some manipulation that can be had in this free market we're talking about. And when you're saying that, uh, you know, if a store is succeeding, if they're hitting their status, people are showing up, clearly they're doing well, but I don't know. I, I definitely think there's always room for improvement and PPTQ's pro tour invites are such an illustrious thing that people are going to chase them just to try and get to the pro tour. And it almost to me doesn't validate their crappy prize structure and cost because those mid-level, low-level grinder type players that desperately want to get to their first or second pro tour after having a taste are going to drive like crazy. Like there was an eight man PP2 in Barhead, Alberta this weekend that my, my good friend, Zach, who quite honestly deserves an RP to Q slot every season. He's that level of player that is an RP to Q slash burgeoning pro tour player. Zach is very good but he won an eight person PPTQ. And meanwhile, there's people, uh, the modern list I'm going to be playing at the face to face open this weekend. A guy got second in a 70 something person PPTQ with it. So it was like, it's just so, so you think your list is better because there was more people there, Doug. The, the, the point, the point isn't that the point is that <laughs> people are going to go to the really crappy PPTQs. Not the bar head necessarily is. I didn't even look up the structure. My point is people are going to travel to these remote places and go to their PPTQs because they're PPTQs, right? But that's okay. Just to play devil's advocate to that point, that's not a failure of the store. That's a failure of Watsi's process for queuing for the Pro Tour. Like, it's, it's fair to say that, like, Magic players are desperate to make the Pro Tour and therefore will just play in any tournament that gives them that opportunity. But Watsi creates that tournament structure, not the stores. And just because a store is like, yeah, I'm going to charge you guys more for the tournament, knowing that you guys are degenerates and will play in this tournament for basically any fee. That's Watsi's fault. Like, they need to create an environment where that's not possible, not the store. I agree. I do agree. And I do think that these controls could create that environment now where it's consistent. But 
No, I think this has been a great debate. And I'd love for the listeners, those who are listening on the podcast, chime in. Let, let us know. Do you agree with me? Do you agree with Vince uh, and Rob here? Well, what do you think? Leave us a comment on the, the podcast because I think this is a good thing to be discussing openly and, uh, and thinking about. And maybe this can spawn some discussion in the, in the nation. We'll see what happens. But just for time, I'm going to just leave it at that. So I think that's been a great, uh, great topic. And we're going to quickly get on to somewhere where Watsi does have control of exactly how everything's run. And it's very consistent. That's Magic Online. So Magic Online is a great place to draft, we talk about. Um, you can go, you can do your leagues, or you know, even if you hate leagues and you want to talk about queues, you can just keep grinding them all night. But the problem that has been run into recently is this set is worth so little on Magic Online that it actively feels like you're incinerating money to draft on Magic Online. I'm not trying to exaggerate when I say that, but you're spending something like $14 US to go into a draft if you just bought all the product from Wizards. And for that $14, your expected value, if you have just a reasonable record, is awful. Now we look at other games, and I'm going to bring up something that is maybe, some people say, not a huge analogy to Magic, but Hearthstone. If you want to go into an arena in Hearthstone, it costs you $1.50 to go into an arena. Or you can even get it for free if you just play a lot. But let's just talk about the $1.50. You don't get to keep anything after the arena, but you get to play in this fun format. So the question Vince brought up pre-show that I think is a great question is, should there be an option for phantom draft leagues on Magic Online? If you just want to draft the current standard format a ton and learn, and you don't want to just waste a lot of money, would phantom drafts or shadow drafts, I don't know which, which way they're actually called, but uh, would those drafts be, be a good idea for people to just grind a lot without using this to grow their collection? The cool thing, and well, actually, I'll leave some of these points for you guys. So that's the question. Should shadow drafts uh, be... Or phantom drafts. Shadow drafts. Yes. You're, you're the one who uh, came up with the term shadow drafts. So uh, you can start oh, us off oh, with oh. the phantom, phantom draft talk. What do you think? People listening are literally going to be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> so just before Vince starts going off the rails here, when Vince was pitching this topic, he called them shadow drafts. And Doug and I just stared into our webcams like, what is shadow drafting? So he meant phantom drafting, and and Doug's just trolling him. Just so that we, sorry, I had to. He kept calling me shadow drafts. And I had no idea what he meant. But I was then gonna, Rob and I were like phantom drafts. Oh yeah, that's such a good idea. So I was Vince, I was saving. Away. I was I was gonna save my. I was also gonna troll Vince. Let's call it shadow tell, drafting. Tell us your thoughts because it's it's. I think it's brilliant. You're not getting any dissension from me. Tell us about shadow they're, drafting. Whatever. They're just words, right? No, I think uh, I think shadow drafts are really cool. No. Um, I, I guess it, it started more as a pipe dream from my perspective because I almost exclusively play limited, and I know Doug was comparing you know Hearthstone Arena, but you can even just look within Moto and see that constructed players just have it so much better right now. Like you can three two a friendly constructed league and be positive EV, whereas if you you're just that's not there's no even remotely close equivalent for drafting right now, and I think that kind of sucks. Um, even like I don't draft because I want product. I don't draft because I'm excited about opening packs. I draft because I enjoy the environment. I like thinking about picks and I like playing a dynamic format where my deck is different literally every time. I don't care about the cards. The cards are there for me to sell so I can draft more. Why can't I have the opportunity that constructive players have where I can enter a tournament for a small amount of money? and make a small profit. 
why does it have to be $15 for me to enter to make either negative $10 or plus $15? It just doesn't make sense that there isn't a lower variance option for the for a, just a different type of experience. In the same way that there's standard tournaments and there's modern tournaments, there should be draft tournaments that have the same sort of range of variance in terms of your, your expected value coming out of the tournament. Um, and yeah, it just makes sense. Like it, It's just enticing more people to draft. I guess from Watsi's perspective, they might lose money because a bunch of people that are drafting for $15 are going to start drafting for $2. But I'll tell you right now, I'm probably going to draft five times as often if I can draft for $3 instead of $15. I'll just keep running back-to-back drafts. The ticket entry, you're basically, like, you have the same ticket entry, right? Because, like, people really don't buy packs from the Wizards online store, right? I mean, if you are, you shouldn't. Uh, you can get the packs for cheaper from a bot for a lot cheaper uh, on average. Like, uh, I think AKH packs are, like, 380 and or sorry, AKH packs are like two ten, and our packs are like three eighty. So you can set, you can save yourself like usually three tickets or so a draft if you're buying from a bot instead of like you know purchasing from the store. Um, and that's you know again the reason the packs are cheap is because the cards are are not expensive, right? So it's kind of like just snowballing on itself. Um, I, I agree. I actually think they could make more money <laughs> by running phantom events because. I would be okay spending the same entry fee as standard, which is an eight ticket entry fee, right? Uh, or 80 play points with the same, you know, kind of prize payout ish type of structure, right? Where like, if you have a winning record, you're going to be plus, uh, you're going to be plus ticks in some way. And I think like that is very enticing. If you, you know, you want to draft the, the problem I mean, they have phantom drafts, right? Uh, usually, they I think they don't fire often. And I, I don't know if they're... I don't think they're leagues. They're, like, queues still. Um, so, like, you'd want phantom drafts in a league format, or you'd want phantom sealed in a league format or something like that, just so you could practice without, like, having to buy all the product. And, like, a lot of things in, in Moto change when that starts to happen and gets popular. Like, the cards become worth more because people aren't just, like cracking packs and then dumping them to bots to try and like mitigate the excessive losses they have trying to get into their next event. Um, so that benefits everyone, but the standard players, <laughs> I, I guess, but then it makes like drafting real cards, like, you know, not a losing venture because the cards will be worth more and the packs will be worth more. Um, so you can actually draft the actual set without just like spewing tickets. Like you need a 71% win rate to break even uh, in terms of like your cost in versus gains in intermediate draft, which is just like you know that's like very hard to do. Like you know, if you ha- if someone told you that they had a sixty five win percent rate at GPS and they hadn't had a top eight, you would look at them and be like, you know, you're probably due. Like if things go your way one tournament, you, you know, it's not unreasonable for you to top eight. So seventy percent is very very high. <laughs> um. So I, I'm definitely for it. The problem is, like, I don't think they're going to do it because they don't want to split their league base, right? Like, how many people are going to play Phantom Leagues, Vince, versus playing in the actual draft? It's just, like, a very difficult thing to manage, I think, for them. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I disagree only because they've already bifurcated the draft format already. They have intermediate, they have competitive. Like, they've, they've already done this to the environment, and both of these cues function. You don't have to have intermediate and competitive once you introduce Phantom. 
you can just have phantom and then either intermediate or competitive. I would say intermediate, but I'm sure the five people who think they're the best Raptors in the world would hate me for saying that. So, I mean, I just That's think... That's fair. Yeah, I guess I don't really see a purpose for competitive draft leagues. Yeah. There. You're already in you such high variance being in the league already. Yeah, and it's interesting too because you can't tell me that cube drafts aren't successful because cube drafts are like lots of people yeah. play cube drafts and really what is cube draft? It's just a phantom draft, right? With a decent prize structure that can let you keep playing and and like the thing about it is wizards is making money when people need more tickets because tickets, the only way to really get them, the only way for them to ever enter the ecosystem is through people buying it from the Watsi store. Now, of course there's just tons of tickets out there on bots and everywhere now, but all of them weren't given out as prizes. They were bought from the Watsi store originally, whereas packs and all of those other things, treasure chests, all of these things that are worth money, they, they can be gained uh, by people winning tournaments. So what's my point? If you have phantom drafts, people are just going to keep buying tickets to play these over and over and over. So they're still making money. Whereas if you need packs, like I can remember the last time I shipped money into, into Magic Online because I just sell stuff and get tickets that I buy cheap packs with and I go draft, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's a really cool idea. We did go down a rabbit trail uh, of lots of other really cool ideas um, that that Magic Online. Do you guys just have a highlight from our pre-show conversation about a draft idea or a moto idea that uh, could be fun? You want to share? I I want draft. We kind of talked about this earlier. I want draft keys where you go in and you don't know what you're drafting, and then a roulette wheel spins and it just picks a random block, and that's what you get to draft. I think that would be sick. I'm all about that. It's like the it's like the online version of chaos drafting. Kind it's, of. it's fixed to the block. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I would actually be also totally fine with phantom chaos drafts. <laughs> I think that would be fun. I mean, that, these kind of things are like not something that you can have maybe running always. Maybe Vince's you can. Like you can just get. You would have to fire as a queue though, right? Uh, I think and not not a league that would be really have to be a queue, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it it's a cost to them to see like enough people need to be interested in it, right? Um, so they're, like they're actually firing, and it's worth their their while to implement. Uh, there's opportunity if it's people are just like you know not getting the experience they want. Um, but I think like on and off, like these are things that they can try and are interesting. Um, I just yeah, I, I like chaos drafting because you like get to do like so many weird things that you don't get to do in, in like the normal block where like, Oh wow. Like, um, my, my Gus Walker is extra sweet now because like I have, uh, these exalted cards in my deck from, uh, some corset or like a Lara block or something. Right. And it's like, now I have a two mana five, five flyer and like, just, just like wacky weird things like that. Right. That are like, you know, the, the normal block structure doesn't allow you to, uh, to experience. And I like, kind of like, you actually maybe you don't even know like what packs your your neighbors or whatever have opened, right? So like as you see the pack coming, you're like, oh okay, there's like a conflux pack in this draft. Okay, cool. Like you know, the, the interesting cards can come out of that. Like how can I I build my my strategy around like uh, something from this block or whatever, right? Um, and that that maybe maybe something like that can can stick around more 
more prudently or, or like uh, have a, have a rotation or something. But yeah, I don't know. They're exploring like gauntlets and stuff like that for standard as phantom cues. And I think that they could do more on the limited side to create interesting experiences that you can only get from Moto, right? And I think that should be the draw. You know, that's one of the draws for Moto. And I, I feel like there's more opportunity uh, to do interesting stuff than they're currently exploring. But Moto is a vast space, and they need to focus on things that matter. So <laughs> if, uh, if doing this takes away resources from other things, like... From the app. Like, a, I noticed today, and I, I don't even know if this is, like, a bug or if this is the way things are supposed to work, because my knowledge of the rules are, like, really poor, actually. But if you, like, cathartic reunion, discarding a madness card, um, just one madness card, your hollow ones which was our, our preview card, by the way, uh, will cost zero instead of one on Magic Online. So I feel like it's double counting the madness. Like it counts it when you discard it into exile and then counts it again when you discard it back into your graveyard or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what the, the bug is. And then I've also experienced other bugs where like people will scavenger grounds my god, uh, locust god. It ha- happened a bunch of times and it just like ends up in my hand and my upkeep or whatever. <laughs> it's like, how did, this, how did this get here? And the opponent's like, uh, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't know this was gonna happen. Sometimes it happens, I guess. Uh, so yeah, if if their efforts gonna take away removing bugs like that, then I disagree. We should never have any phantom anything. But uh, if there's spare cycles that will not conflict with fixing problems with Moto, then yes, please explore and give us cool, new, interesting things. Like this is kind of like the uh, tavern brawl of Hearthstone, right? Coming yeah. to Moto, yeah. Totally. I'll just quickly, uh, I'll quickly share what I was thinking about would be a really cool change that was suggested. Uh, Vincent mentioned, what if they just had every possible draft format that's like existed available as queues that you could just go into and maybe you see five people in the queue and you decide, wow, I haven't done an invasion draft for a while. I'm going to jump in. Or maybe you and your friends uh, want to jump in on that draft. They can. I, that then got me thinking, uh, I know right now a very popular game in the world is Pokemon Go and there's this raid system for legendaries. But the point I'm going to make is you can go into a raid, which is like a queue, uh, whoever the first 20 in get in, or you can click a button to do like a private raid and then you can do like a private 20 people so that other people don't jump in. Um, I know the last version of Magic Online, actually, if you remember where it all sat around the tables, you could do private drafts where you'd sit around a table and you'd like pick your physical seat at the table before it started. And uh, it's funny because I used to, uh, back when I was in my first couple of Pro Tours, do Magic Online money drafts where it was all like sending money via the internet. Honor, or, honor drafting. Yeah, honor no, drafting. I'm, being, I'm just being honest right now. What, <laughs> like, I'm not calling anyone else about myself, but uh, that's something that I did. So um, my, the point of me saying that I did this is maybe there's some good reasons why WotC doesn't want to allow these, um, <laughs> these drafts where you can just kind of cherry pick how you do it. But those are some fun times and some really cool uh, drafts, honor drafts, I guess we're supposed to say, but come on, like I'm just being legit about what I did. It was fun. It was a good time. Um, so yeah, if you could cherry pick cues, that'd be really fun. But uh, yeah, these are some of our pipe dreams. So we're just going to bring this uh, to a wrap. We really don't want to talk too much on this last topic, but some people in the nation I heard in the discord, were trying to uh, ask this question and that is what would we play if we were going to play modern uh, upcoming modern is 
we've been talking about it. Our last two episode titles contained the word Eldrazitron. So uh, I don't know where you two stand on it, but I'm just going to quickly share that I actually happen to have uh, this Saturday off work and I'm really excited. I'm driving to Calgary to play in a face-to-face open. Um, just quick shout out to face-to-face before we wrap this up. They're sponsored this podcast and they're phenomenal company and their opens are just getting a huge upcoming uh, in the new year where they're going to become open pluses where there's going to be five grand in prizes and the top four players get, or it might be the top two players get travel fare to star city invitationals and invitational qualification slots. So that's really cool. But uh, this one is just a three K and I'm going to be playing green black. It's uh, what Brian Gottlieb has been talking about on game and on here. And uh, it's, it looks like an Abzan list, you know, discard spells, removal, Tarmogoyf's four confidants, you know, three scavenging news main deck. And it's just like a lean green black fighting machine. So I'm really excited to play it. I think discards well positioned and I'm not good enough to play death shadow. So I'm not going to try playing that deck because I would bumble all over the place. But uh, Tarmogoyf, him and I, we've had a good history together. So are you, are you playing confidants? Yeah. Four main deck confidants, four goyfs and, uh, and three main deck scavenging news. It's just like green, green beaters and, and confidants, and then just a ton of removal spells. Um, Sounds sweet. No, no siege rhinos in the seventy five. Then it's just green and black. Uh, you get oh, to just play, green black. Yeah, you oh, get that's to play terrible. That four terrible. four main deck ghost quarters is a really big sell uh, because ghost quarter happens to be good against death shadows surprisingly, and also uh, Eldrazi Tron. You get to disrupt them. So. Um, yeah, the deck's lean. You know, it has two tireless trackers main deck, which is kind of cool, and it has uh, five three-drop Liliana's main deck. So it knows what it wants to do, and it does it well. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a pretty sweet list. You played uh, fair magic in an unfair format. <laughs> yeah, you got one Traverse Duvenwall, which can find Eternal Witness, which is kind of spicy. So. Is Eternal Witness in the main? Yeah, one. one yeah. Holy... Yeah, the, fair the magic. Real spice of life. Yeah, get that ghost quarter <laughs> back, you know, or uh, sideboard in that crucible, help you out there, play Shadow of Doubt on someone out of the board, and they're like, wait, what did you just do? <laughs> nice map. That's Shadow so, of Doubt. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. What about you two? What would you play if you were, uh, were going to be playing this weekend? I'm still in that scape shift train. I think that um, it just has, like, a good matchup against what other people are trying to do on average in the format. Like, um, you're just just by extending the game, you just have a higher as the longer the game goes, the better chance you have to win. Because you just start like drawing double lightning bolts that cost zero mana and are uncounterable. <laughs> and like with Hour of Promise, it's so easy to get two Valakuts in play. Um I just think the deck is is very good. And I think uh it's good against Tron and good against Affinity, and that's kinda you know where you want to be. And it just also has the the chance to just like not kill your opponent on turn four um, if they're, you know, don't disrupt you in the right way or, or not leaving up mana for counter magic or something like that. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'd be. I've been pushing Scape Shift for uh, the last few weeks, and my opinion has not changed. I would say it depends on how much time you're willing to invest. So, I've, I'm willing to invest actual zero time. So, that would be not playing modern. But if you're willing to invest the bare minimum amount of time, probably a deck like Affinity, just because it's something you can pick up. And, you know, even if you don't fully understand the way the deck works, you can draw your way to some some sweet victories. 
Yeah, you, you can play Affinity at like an 80% uh, correct level without too much effort if you run yeah. any pretty good at Magic. Although the last 20% is a it's lot hard. of effort. Yeah, it's hard. It's very <laughs> hard. Like, it's one of those weird decks where the curve is like super, super shallow and then very, very steep. Um, but yeah, if you want to actually commit a serious amount of time to Modern, I would just play a deck with Death Shadow in it. Like, the, if you know how to play Death Shadow correctly, you're going to do better than most people. So. If you want to invest the time, do it. If not, just play like Affinity. Go play Ramp, Scape Shift, Boo. That's boring. That's not fun. Robots. You don't like, you don't like Lightning Bolt for zero mana. No, I like I like dumping my hand on turn one or playing a one mana twelve twelve. That's the life I want to live. And I'm just gonna cast Abrupt Decay. That's that's where we've uh, where we've landed. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Tonight was a lot of fun. Um, it was great to be back. Uh, hosting was a lot of fun so just want to give a real quick shout out to facetofacegames.com um of course they are your number one source for magic the gathering card singles in canada uh they are they're great and our patreon is just phenomenal we went over uh the six the six hundred dollar mark that was a goal that we had and we're so thankful for everyone who's supporting us from the producers to uh, those in the nation to everyone who's just contributed it means a lot we're gonna hopefully be ramping up for some uh, versus series videos like we've promised in our patreon goal we're going to battle each other and uh, uh, bring some different formats and some fun and if you join you get access to that nation you're going to get a lot of value uh, there's been a bunch of new additions over the past week and i know from firsthand experience as someone who just read and watched for a while read what was happening in the nation that's what helped me top eight of gp we've had people uh, succeeding with our info so join the community it's not just a it's not just us giving, it's also us receiving and learning from everyone in the nation. And it's just been such an amazing community to be a part of. So shout out to everyone that's in the nation and uh, supporting our Patreon. So for Rob and Vince, I've been Doug, and thank you for hanging out on First Strike.